0: This is recording number 10745 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the second message in the Embracing Your Destiny series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, January 13, 2008. This message is titled, Chart Your Course. To read a, a smattering of verses from Joshua chapter 2, 3, and 4. This study of the book of Joshua is about the people of Israel who have made their way through the wilderness coming from slave, 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and they've come to the threshold of the promised land. The Jordan River serves as a threshold that once they cross it, and they have been here one time before and refused to cross and as a result, spent another 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. But now they're back again to that threshold. And beyond that border, beyond that boundary, beyond those doors, if you please, is the place of God's promises to them. God said, "This I am going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey. And now I know that to us, that kind of sounds like a sticky mess. But to them, it really was Uh, uh, such a uh, word picture of the delight and the pleasure of God on a people and having, you know, just um, satisfaction in every area of their life. And God's plans for you, dear one, are rich and wonderful. And so um, we're studying about how these people came to this threshold and actually crossed over and began to live in that place not just talk about it not just dream about it not just know it's there somehow but actually dove in took possession of lived in understood it what it was like to actually experience their destiny and I I just believe that it's the heart of God for every Christ follower to know what it is like to step beyond that boundary and actually live in that place of God's Um, plans and purposes, destiny for our lives. So last week we talked about facing your future as being the first part of what it means to do that, and today we're going to be talking about charting your course, charting your course. Um, You know, about a few years ago, I guess it was probably three or four years ago, I had a meeting I needed to attend, an important meeting I had to attend down in uh, Southern California. I was living in San Jose at the time, we were pastoring there. And uh, it had to do with um, our, uh, our um, church uh, uh, family, our denomination, Four Square Church. I had a meeting with uh, at the Regional Administrative Center down in Los Angeles. I got on a plane at San Jose Airport, flew the 400 miles down to uh, Burbank um, Airport. went out to the uh, – I had forgotten how far you have to walk at uh, Burbank or Bob Hope International Airport. I mean, it's, I don't – where are the – where they have the Southwest um, gates and where the car rental places is like c- completely opposite ends of this place. So I'm walking and walking and walking and at the time I had just had foot surgery and so I'm on crutches and oh, it was a mess. Anyway, I finally got out there, got the, uh, my car rented and then I had to walk, you know, I don't know how far, it seemed like miles but it's probably 100 feet or so to find my car and I got in the car got the engine turned on, reached over to my briefcase, pulled out the file that I had for this these meetings I was going to attend and realized I somehow did not put in that file the Google Maps that I had printed out for how to get to this place. So I'm sitting there with the engine running, but I don't know how to get where I need to go. And that just occurs to me that that's such a picture of what a lot of of us as Christians experience in terms of this subject. The Bible says that of the people of Israel in, in leading them from slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land, it, it uses this metaphor. Jesus, or God says, I carried you uh, on wings like an eagle. He carried them on his wings to, to this Promised Land. And I had gotten, literally, gotten into an aircraft with wings and flown to the place. And I'm sitting there, and I have, the, I have all the technology. I've got this, this hunk of steel wrapped around me, and the engine is running. I have everything I need to get to my destination except a map. And I think that a lot of us, when it comes to the subject of destiny... We have everything that we need. We have knowledge. We have certainly the will of God on our side and his, um, uh, the way he has choreographed all the affairs of our life to bring us to this point. But we're, we're missing a map. And I understand how it is. You, uh, sometimes subconsciously we think, you know, yeah, 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 destiny. Listen, I would love to live in destiny, but I've got more pressing problems. <laughs> You know, I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got a job that's in jeopardy. I've got a marriage that's failing. I have all kinds of other things that occupy my attention. I'm going to leave destiny for some other day. And even if I was to, to kind of embrace the notion that this is an important thing, and somewhere inside I know that it is, I still don't know how to get there. What's the map to destiny? How do I get there from where I am right now? I understand uh, the, all of the other important things that fill your life. Listen, if you have a mortgage, pay it. <laughs> if you have a job, work hard at it. Be the best employee or employer that you can possibly be. If you're a student, be the best student that you can be. Whatever it is that you are, do those things and do them well. But, Don't forget destiny. Don't look at your life in the rearview mirror many years from now and see just tasks performed. Don't look in the rearview mirror of your life years from now and see just bills paid, kids raised, events attended, Be a person who looks back in the rearview mirror of your life years from now and sees the hand of God moving you along through His plans for you. Don't miss destiny. Today we're going to talk about this map. How do we get from where we are to the land of God's promise for us? Now, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two spies or two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now, if I, I'm going to leave that verse. And that's all we're going to read out of verse 2. But as I do, I, want to, I need to clarify because it ends with these two spies going to the house of a harlot. So I need to sort of offer an explanation there. Now... Uh, The one thing I want you to see above all else with this verse is that Joshua sent spies out to get the lay of the land to to, uh, figure out which ways they needed to travel, which towns they were going to, or peoples they were going to encounter, what battles they may have to face, to uh, exercise wisdom with regard to how they move forward and navigate this territory called destiny. Notice that God is... um, uh, uh, giving Joshua wisdom about advancing into destiny, charting a course. Notice that. But here's the backstory with the harlot and all that stuff. Just across Jordan from where they're camped, the Israelites are camped at Acacia Grove, is Jericho. Many of you have heard about that story. The walls came tumbling down and all that. Well, as a part of the investigation tour that these spies engaged in. Uh, and by the way, the people of the promised land were scared to death of the Israelites that were just camped on the other side of the Jordan. And so they were keeping a watchful eye on them. And so these spies were not just, they're not welcomed with open arms, right? So they had to carry out their their uh, duties covertly or, um, you know, undercover. And so they come to uh, the city of Jericho, and they want to gather all the intelligence they can uh, and do it as quietly as possible. So they end up going to this, uh, this woman's house where they would uh, be uh, less noticed, shall we say. And uh, so that's how they engage this woman, uh, Rahab. It turns out that because, uh, that we find that Rahab is a person who has by some means come to believe in the God of the, of the Jews as the God, the God of Israel. And as a result of her obedience in hiding um, these spies, God preserves her and she actually ends up becoming part of the lineage of the Messiah. It's an incredible story I don't have time for. But anyway, that's, that's that. So just notice, they exercised wisdom in charting a course. And that's really my first point about this, is that actually moving from where you are today to uh, destiny involves developing a plan. Developing a plan. Now, Christians are, uh, kind of fall onto two extremes with regard to this thing about planning. And neither of them are, are correct. One of them is that people think that God is a puppeteer, that he's just you know that we, we have no say in it, we have nothing to offer him, and so it, all we are looking to God for is to pull the strings, you know. Just and I remember this one time I, when I was young, I was, uh, um, not that I'm not young now, but anyway, uh, I was <laughs> probably about sixteen or so, and I was um, you didn't have to laugh so loudly about that. <laughs> Anyways, I was about 16. I was in a car with a friend of mine named Larry. Larry Wilkins, and I, it, he had a Volkswagen bug, and I mean the real bug, you know, and so we're in there, we're driving along, and out of out of the blue, all of a sudden, he takes this hard left turn, I'm in the passenger seat, and I when I say hard, I mean on a dime, we're going uh, 90 degrees, and it's so, the force of that is so uh, uh, strong, I'm almost ejected out of the car, and once I get my bearings back, because I wasn't expecting it, in those days, nobody worked seatbelts or anything, you know, you just whoa, like that, and I'm almost out the window, when I get kind of recovered, I said, Larry, what in the world was that about? Says, oh, God told me to turn there! <laughs> what? Uh, but, you know what, there's a lot of Christians that act like that, as though God is just gonna you know, pull your string, and you're gonna and that's how we, you know, a lot of people kind of just uh, think about destiny like that, that God is just gonna jerk the strings, or he's, you know, this masterful puppeteer. And that's not a, a, a biblical picture of God and the way that he, he works with us. Another extreme is that God is like an angel investor. How many of you know what an angel investor is? Okay. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time in the Silicon Valley, so I know about this stuff. Angel investors are usually one person who has a lot of money and wants to invest in startup businesses. So he'll give them the capital. You got some guy with a brilliant idea, some, you know, 15 year old that's got this brilliant idea for Facebook or whatever it's going to be. And you see, you recognize the, the potential in this idea. And so you bankroll it. And then, you know, in, in exchange, you get a certain uh, percentage of, uh, of the ownership of the building, that's a, of the business. That's an angel investor. Another, uh, another kind of way that that's done is with venture capitalists. Now, a venture capitalist is usually somebody who has collected a pool of money from a lot of different people, and so he has this capital, and he then invests all these other people's capital on their behalf in similar kind of enterprises, startup businesses, and so on. But a lot of people think about God that way in regard to our destiny. In other words, we come to him with this great idea. God, I want to be. God, I want to do. God, isn't this great? Would you please bankroll this for me? Would you please make sure that everything goes great, that everything works out? Lord, will you do my idea? Will you guarantee that my plan becomes fulfilled? But that's not a biblical understanding of how God operates either. God is a father and a good father. Now, sadly, a lot of us haven't had experience with having a good father. But God is one. And I, I, I had a, I had a good, I have a good father. I didn't mean to say I had. I have a good father, but I want to actually use an illustration uh, from my relationship with my grandfather, if I could. My grandfather was a cabinet maker. Uh, he could do almost anything with, with wood, and um, I was uh, I was sixteen when I uh, met um, Sue, the wonderful woman who became my wife. And I cannot explain this, except genetically, that my first inclination, uh, when, I, when I was really, you know, I knew this was going to be it, I was going to spend the rest of my life with this woman, my first inclination was, I want to build her something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to explain that. Because <laughs> so I had never done anything like that before in my life. Well, except for the tank that I tried to build when I was about eight years old. But that's, that was a total disaster. Anyway. So I wanted to build her something, and I so I went to my grandfather. I said, "Gramps, would you give me a hand with this? Would you help me? I want to." And I had this idea. I want to make her a. I don't even know if you know people still have these things anymore, but I want to make her a hope chest. That's a you know, in case you're uh, younger than me, uh, that's a, a box that women used to have and put things in. I don't even want to know what's in there, but they put stuff in there in anticipation of their Married life. So, anyway, I I I, uh, I asked him if he'd give me a hand with this, and I'd never done anything like that before. And he said, "Sure." Now, it was interesting how that developed because he could have whipped this thing out in like two seconds. It would have had the perfect joints. It would have it would have been um, and when, it, you know it would have been perfect in every detail. It would have been a, a, a fine piece of furniture. But that's not how he approached it with me. He said well sketch out for me what it is you you want this to be like and so I got my pencil and paper out and I basically just drew a box (laughs) I said something like that Gramps (laughs) and I said and he said well hmm that's that looks great Um, how do you want to go about it what kind of uh, wood would you like it to be made from well uh, is there more than one kind well, yeah, there, and he. So he started telling me about the different properties of different types of wood, and and uh, so I made my choice. And he said, "Would you like it to be lined?" Lined? What does that mean? I said, "Would you like to have a different kind of wood on the inside, like an aromatic wood, like cedar or something that gives off an aroma and stuff?" And I, yeah, I, I that's yeah, that's my plan. That's what I. That's really what I'd like to. But he he really coached me and drew out of me my. My um, dreams about this box and, and even things I didn't even know were there or wouldn't have even known to ask or think, he, he, he drew those things out of me. And then we got actually, we went out and bought the materials and, and uh, he didn't tell me how to do it. He stood by and watched me and was available to me. And at times, he would step in and say, you know, let me make this suggestion to you. You know, you probably ought to use this kind of saw or this sort of drill or this type of joinery. But anyway, all to say, when it was done, it was something I I was invested in. I had, you know, it was my, I I was so excited about this thing that came from this little drawing of a box on a piece of paper to an actual piece of furniture. And, and yet, I, I knew that it was something we'd done together, but it wasn't something he'd done for me or imposed on me. It was an incredible partnership that I had never experienced before, uh, before that. Now, we still have that box. Now, it's not in our living room, but we still have it. We still have it in our home. And the reason I tell you that is because, because of that... I did, I, I did learn some skills and things that I was able to apply going forward without my grandfather's help. And, and I actually you know, have are other pieces of furniture that are in a, you know, more prominent parts of our home that I, I made. And it became just a really important thing in my life. Now there, now my, that little story doesn't translate like any illustration, doesn't translate exactly across to our relationship with God. But in terms of destiny and this partnership of developing a plan, it's more like that than the puppeteer or the angel investor. There's something in our genetic code as humans. We've been created in the image of God that causes us to want to respond to things in certain ways at the deep part of our, of our being. Just like my first initial reaction to, you know, to uh, knowing I was gonna spend my life with this woman t- was to make her something. I didn't know where that came from. It came from a genetic, something I'd, I'd ga- gotten at a subconscious level from my relationship with my dad and my grandfather, my, my paternal grandfather. Just as a lot of the dreams and ideas and things that come to your mind about your future and your life, they are—they flow out of the fact that you are children of the Heavenly Father. He has shaped you in such a way that those ideas, those longings come out. And then He wants to be there to help you, to shepherd you, to partner with you, to mentor you along the path of those dreams being fulfilled. It's not wrong to send out spies and figure out what you got to do. It wasn't wrong for me to try to you know, make draw my little box. It's not wrong for you to map out an idea of what your destiny might look like as long as you keep a loose grip on it and understand that there's a God in heaven who's going to help make give it more shape maybe even change course or direction a little bit so that it actually becomes what he has planned for you does that make sense he's not a puppeteer he's not an angel investor he's a father <sighs> <clears throat> The next thing I want to have you think about in terms of this is charting our course has to do with following the leader. Following the leader. Read with me at chapter 3, verse 1 now. Follow along. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed. So they moved from their encampment at Acacia Grove, and they've come right to the edge of the Jordan river so it was after 3 days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying when you see the ark of the covenant of the lord your god and the priests the levites bearing it then you shall set out from your place and go after it yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2000 cubits by measure do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go before for you have not passed this way before so get the picture. They've moved from their their base camp there at Acacia Grove, come right to the threshold, right to the edge of the Jordan River, camped there for three days. And uh, the captains, uh, leaders of Israel have gone around and told people, now, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, and a lot of you would know what that is if you've ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, it's this box that... that uh, Uh, housed or held in it the copies of the Ten Commandments the top of it had uh, cherubim fashioned out of gold and the Bible says that God in some magnificent wondrous way manifested his presence between the wings of those cherubim that formed the, the lid for this box Anyway, they said when you see the ark of the covenant begin to move and I don't mean it was going to get, you know, kind of levitate and float, but when the priests and levites shouldered this box and began to move forward with it, then it's your turn to follow. He said, "But let them get ahead by 2000 what was it, 2000 cubits? Anyway, about a, about a half a mile, right? Let them get ahead and don't close that gap. Why? Because you have never been this way before. And you don't want to lose perspective on which way to go. Follow the box. Remember that box signified the presence of God to the people. Um, When it comes to this whole thing about moving from where we are to destiny, we need to learn the lesson of waiting for God. Waiting for him. I remember one time... Uh, Sue and I were, uh, without telling you the whole story, it was Christmas time, just be, just before Christmas, and we we were in the toughest financial place we had ever been. You've heard bits and pieces of this story, so I won't bore you with it. But just, it was really really rough, and we just finally got, or we just, the straw that broke the camel's back for me is that we just heard from these people that had, that we thought were going to buy uh, our home in the town we had just lived in, uh, and they were not going to be able to do that, or they were moving to another state, and we were going to be stuck with that mortgage on top of everything else that was going on. And I told Sue, I said, well, that's it. I said to her, honey, we're going to put everything we have in, st- everything we can't sell, we're going to put in storage, and we're going to move in to- with your parents. And she said, you know, I, I can't explain it but I just feel like we're supposed to wait until the first of the year. And something about that just... I was panicked. I was so anxious and so nervous. My stomach was in knots. And yet when she said that, it sounded to me like, God, I don't know how to explain it. And I decided... I said, all right, we'll wait. And... Uh, yeah. A whole series of uh, really wonderful, in my opinion, miraculous things took place uh, after the first of the year that changed the whole complexion of our lives and uh, resolved all of those problems. Um, A lot of times we're in a hurry to react to our circumstances and, the, and especially if we have this burning passion about some dream we have or something we want to see accomplished, and we are ready to go, and we don't understand why God is taking his sweet time. And a lot of times, people will talk about God as moving at the 11th hour. Well, it's been my experience that it's beyond midnight when he decides to actually move. And yet, he always knows What's best. When I look back over my life, oh, I cannot tell you how grateful I am for the mercy of God that even when I was anxious and moved ahead of Him, that He <laughs> and rept, reaped the consequences of that, that He rescued me and has taught me so much about just waiting. If He isn't moving, dear one, don't move. Trust me, save yourself a lot of trouble. If God isn't moving, don't move. Wait, 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 wait until he does. And the other problem that we have is that when we're in that sort of situation is we often presume. Once we see God begin to move, we, and we kinda, then we think, oh, I see where he's going. Thanks, Lord, I can take it from here, right? Anybody here ever done that? No, I don't raise your hand. I've done that. I've done it <laughs> I see we, oh okay, I get it now, God, thanks. I can, I can go from here. I, I'm so, I do this with software I don't know if any, I mean you, I don't know if any of you ever do this, but I'm, I'm using some program and I think, how do I do this?" And I'll go to the help menu, I'll look up the, the answer to it, and I'll go, "Oh okay, I'll read you know a couple of lines, "Ah, oh, I get it, I'll close the window, shut everything down, and I'll go back and try it, and then it doesn't work. And now I have to go back and find all that material again because I closed it. I didn't print it out. I thought I had it right. I'm so guilty of this. I'll get some some new uh, you know uh, uh, electronic gadget, and I'll read like the first two uh, sentences from the manual, and then oh, oh I get it, and toss the manual, <laughs> and find out that I I don't know diddly. We do this with God. We do this with God. And we always end up uh, in places that he never designed for us to. Why? Because he is so... <laughs> he has an eternal perspective. The Bible says, teaches us this principle that God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows everything that can be known. And to, to ignore that... And to ignore his eternal perspective uh, is a serious uh, mistake. So develop a plan. Follow the leader. Then make room for miracles. Read with me beginning at verse 5 of chapter 3. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Verse 14 of that same chapter. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, (parentheses for the Jordan overflows all its bank, uh, banks during the whole time of harvest, That is, close parentheses, that's there because uh, the writer wants us to understand that even though the Jordan is not a, a you know, it's a a decent river, but it's not huge by any means. But during this season of the year, during harvest, it overflows its bank and becomes a a sizable body of water. So what's about to happen, they want us to understand, is a, a serious miracle. So we continue in verse 16 that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of, uh, of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant <clears throat> Of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until the people had all crossed completely over the Jordan. Getting from where you are to destiny always will require God's miraculous, wondrous interventions. So prepare yourself. Joshua told the people, sanctify yourselves, get ready. Sanctify means to prepare yourself, get yourself ready. Because tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, to me, what that means is that we need to consider what we think and what our expectations are about God working miraculously. I doubt whether there's anybody in this room that wouldn't agree that God is capable of working miracles. Here's where the rub is. A lot of times, many of us are not quite so sure that he would do any of those kinds of things for me. But if you're going to be a person of destiny, if you're going to move from where you are, from just making sure all the bills get paid and all the activities are you know, checked off the list to a place where your life is lived in destiny in pursuit of God's plans and purposes for your life, you're gonna have to um, ask yourself this question. What do you believe about God working miraculously in your life and in your circumstances? Think this through. Sort this out. Is there or is there not a God who is all-powerful in heaven and loves you so much that he will bring his power to bear on your life there is there is but make room for that truth in your heart and then step forward in faith now I love this story we just finished reading because <laughs> the, the, now get the picture right here's here, I here's the priest they have the, they got the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders and nothing's happening the water is still overflowing its banks and they get the word alright go for it and they start to walk and listen they don't know they may be carrying this box underwater in a few minutes they don't know what's going to happen they have no idea and they're just marching forward Okay. And it says that it's not until they're in the water. Not, 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 you know, a few feet back. That would have been nice. Before they actually get there. Oh, I see what's going to happen. God's going to part the water. Okay, I get this. No, no. It's not till they're actually in the water. Now, we don't know how deep, but they're in the water. And then... Then God stops the water upstream at this city called Adam, and it says that the water rushes down to the salt sea and leaves nothing but dry ground. And they walk across. Everybody walks across. It makes a point over and over. Everybody gets across on dry ground. A miracle takes place. Uh, Moving into destiny always requires those kinds of steps of faith. When Sue and I were pastoring in in the Central Valley and felt the Lord leading us back to the Bay Area to start a church. And our first stop was going to be um, uh, in the Santa Cruz area where we were going to put together a group of people from um, a church there that we'd invited to, to uh, come uh, to, to help us plant this new church. Uh, we were getting ready to move. Sue had gone over and was uh, staying with uh, uh, some people in, in Santa Cruz and finally found a job uh, and um, was looking for a place for us to, to rent, a house to rent. I was at home packing everything up. We're ready to go. She's got a job. I have no job. I have no prospect of a job. We had talked about, uh, you know, how much we thought we could afford to, to rent a place there, but really we could afford zero Because she had a job, and I did, and the job she had paid hardly anything. She was working as a, you know, kind of a a, a, a secretary at a preschool, and she wasn't going to make much at all. And, uh, but we still had this number in mind that we thought, well, you know, we'll try to find a place in that range, right? And everything she looked at was horrible. Everything in our, quote, quote, price range was filthy, horrible, wretched, and we wouldn't want to live there. We had... We'd forgotten about the, you know, anytime you move away from the Bay Area and come back, oh my gosh, you know, the prices are so much different. And uh, so anyway, we were just discouraged. Like I said, the, the, the van is packed, I'm coming. We have, you know, <laughs> we need a place to live. So she calls me and she says, Randy says, she said, I found us a great place. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Everything we, we would love for a home to be here, and uh, only thing is, it's twice what we talked about being able to afford. Okay, that's that's good. <laughs> that's good. And and I said, there's no other alternatives. Nothing. On, I, I haven't seen anything we would even consider living in. This is the and and this is great. And so I'm at this point in my life where I'm, okay, I might as well go in the water. I don't know what else is going to happen. So I said, all right, honey, sign us up. Because now you had to apply for it, right? And there were 40 families ahead of us on this list. And I'm thinking, well, you know, when they check us, if they get down the list and they finally get to us and check us out and find out I'm unemployed and have no prospects of employment, (laughs) they're going to... They're not going to. So go ahead. Put us on the list. Here I come. <laughs> and I, you know, and make a long story short. I, God worked him. He parted the water. I mean, out of all of those people, this property management outfit selected us. And then God worked. We, we had, this house had a, a, a separate, or a a, a, a large um, a bedroom bath combination that was connected to the house, but not internally, and uh, so we uh, rented that out to a Christian girl that you know helped us to pay for the rent. A lot of uh, anyway, it, God worked. We walked across that thing on dry ground, and I, I remember another time when I mean I can tell you stories all day, but I remember another time when I we were pastoring in San Jose, and I had. Um, I was, uh, 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 when we started the church, I was, I was working full-time uh, supporting, you know, so I could support us while, while the church was getting started. Then the, we came to this point where um, one of the guys in our church who was a venture capitalist, anyway, he, he, he gave a stock grant to the church that made it possible for me to be able to only work part-time aside from the church. Uh, and uh, so I went to my boss to, to uh, resign. Now the problem was, um, I didn't know. I I couldn't imagine how I was going to find a part-time job that would pay enough. I had a good job at the time with Cisco Systems, but I knew that they did not hire part-time people. Um, And so, to me, it was all or nothing. I marched into my uh, my boss's office and I sat down. I told her, you know, I'm I'm going to have to quit. And, uh, and here's why and whatnot. and I got up and get ready to go and to me it was like stepping into the water. I had no idea what was going to, ha- how we were going to do this thing. Um, and she says, well wait a minute, she says, is there anything we could do uh, to get you to, this is in the height of the internet boom, right, and they, people couldn't hire people uh, fast enough and she says, is there any way we could get you to stick around till we could replace you?" And I, hadn't even, I had, was totally unprepared for that. I hadn't thought it through in the least. I was totally unexpected. And I said, well, um, I, I guess if I, could, if I could work 20 hours in two days, have no, not have to go to any meetings, not have to have a very tightly focused job description so that when I'm there I work really hard, but when I leave it's over. I don't have to take it with me when I leave here. And if I could uh, keep my benefits... <laughs> <laughs> and, and she says, you're on. And it turned out to be the perfect thing because it kept me in, in touch with the uh, people uh, uh, in, in that um, high-tech world that we were trying to reach with our church and yet gave me all the, you know, a lot of time that I needed to, to, to pastor the congregation. But here's the thing. Within days of her striking this deal with me, the bottom fell out of the internet uh, Boom. And our company, or uh, that company, put a freeze on hiring. So she couldn't replace me. She couldn't let me go. Or she would ha- wouldn't have anyone. And so I had this, this cherry deal for four years. <laughs> and, it, you know, God is able to work miraculously when we trust Him and when we're willing to get our feet in the water. He will move on our behalf. The last thing, I know I'm, I'm keeping you a little bit late here, but we're almost done. The last thing is mark the milestones. Follow along with me, verse four or chapter 4, verse 1. It came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves... Twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm, you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodged tonight. Now, verse 20. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. That's the place they lodged for the night. He created a little pile of these rocks. Verse 21, Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry ground. Verse 24, That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Mark the milestones so you won't forget those two stories I just told about our, the house in Aptos, the part-time position with Cisco Systems, those two jobs are milestones. There's pi- they're piles of rocks that I, I established so I'll never forget. So I will never forget. I remember one time, not that long ago, we were, we were going through a difficult season. And Sue asked me, she said, do you have hope? And the thing that just came right out of my mouth was, yes, I do, because... And I recited several of these uh, occasions where God has shown himself faithful and miraculous on my part. There are piles of rocks that I have that remind me God is faithful and powerful and will work on my behalf. I don't ever want to forget that. But it's also to inspire others. Um... Joshua said, you know, in t- the reason that we dragged these 12 rocks out of the middle of the, of the riverbed and pile them up over here on the other side of the river is so that in time to come when your children and grandchildren come along and they see this pile of rocks and they say, well, what in the world is that, Grandpa? What in the world is that, Dad? You'll say, you know what that is? That's, those are rocks we dragged out of that river, from the bottom of that river when it was dry because God parted the water so that we could walk across on dry ground. That's what that is. Don't you ever forget that God is able to work powerfully on your behalf. That is a testament to his faithfulness and his power. That's what that is. Marking the milestones so that we, I remember one time my son came to me, and this is it, except for a verse I'm gonna... Well, there's always one thing more, right? Except for, <laughs> except for a verse we're going to read. <laughs> my, I remember my son came to me one, one night. He he was planning. We were living in San Jose. He was planning to go with some friends to a concert in San Francisco. And I, you know, it was one of those things. I, I didn't like the crowd he was with. I didn't like the, the artist he was going to see. I wasn't happy about the whole deal. And uh, But he was, you know, he was like uh, 17 or 18. He was pretty old and but he said this to me. He said, he came to me the night of the, of the event. And he said, Dad, if you don't think I should go to this thing, I'm not going to go. Because I've seen God work in your life. I've heard the stories of how God has led you and spoken to you and done things. I, and listen, I trust you. Wow, that was an important, powerful thing. I said to him, well, well, I was going to let you go, but I don't think it's a good idea. All right, I'm not going. The power of the stories, the, the path, the, the, the trail you're marking in your journey in God has great impact on those who follow you, friends, family, neighbors, children. Let's mark the milestones. All right, you can get out of your seat now, and we'll read these, these verses. Let's read them one at a time. There's two verses here, Proverbs 16, 9, and Psalm 37, 5. Let's read the first one. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And that's that partnership we talked about, that, that relationship with God where we, we're able and, and, and desire, it's desirous for us to bring to him our plans, but we hold them loosely because he, that gives him the room to direct our steps. Now Psalm 37 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass.